0: This week on FX Guide TV. We start our 2012 Oscar coverage by talking to the director of the Pixar film La Luna, that's been nominated for Best Short Animated Film. And also to the film's producer, who's actually championed multiple Pixar short films right through to the Oscars.
1: This and more coming up next.
2: Hello and welcome to the start of our awards season coverage with Pixar's La Luna. Now next week, Mike and the team are in LA for the VES Awards, ASC and SciTech Oscars, but this week we're focused on the main Oscars. And With a film that looks almost like a children's book done in pencil and watercolour, Pixar has once again been nominated for Best Animated Short Film. So Mike Seymour caught up with both the director of La Luna, Enrico Casarosa, and the producer, Kevin Ria. Who also produced Pixar's short films *Day and Night* and *Mostly Cloudy*.
0: So, congratulations on the film. You've had a terrific run both here in, and in Europe. It's been a, must be great to see an audience relate to your story.
3: Yeah, it's been so great to show it, you know, to the first audiences. We showed it in June in, in Annecy um, a couple of times, and you know, this is really the the, the next uh, biggest uh, audience we, we've seen. So it's been great to see you know big full rooms uh, watching this. It's, really exciting It is a very personal story, isn't it? Yeah yeah yeah, it really kind of comes from my childhood, the heart of it just being uh, me growing up in Genoa, Italy, with uh, our, our grandfather in our home and, and my dad and my grandfather not getting along that well. so there's a little bit I was trying to reach that, uh, that feeling of a little kid that can feel a little bit stuck between the two uh, polar opposites, you know, as to, to personalities that are a little strong, and, and um, so it's a little bit about finding your own way among, you know, some pressure. One of the things I liked about the film
0: uh, was the storybook characteristics that seemed to come from the textile nature of the materials that we used. Could you talk to us a little bit about how the, some of the skies and some of the materials that were fed into the digital process?
3: Yeah, that's something that we, you know, really wanted to try and, and, and reach uh, some sort of a slightly different feel. Um, the story seemed to support it being kind of this fable-like, um, kids' book-like um, a fairy tale in, in some way. So we, um, I, I, I do watercolors to, to kind of start figuring out the story anyway. So those watercolors, uh, pencils and watercolors, gave us a little bit of something to aim for. And we try to, to bring a lot of that texture into the objects, um, real, you know, watercolored um, texture. And the same way pastels. Um, our um, production designer, Bill Cohen, on it does a wonderful pastel. has Done pastels for Pixar for many years. So we try to even have those pastels as a backdrop, like the the sky on the earth. It's a big gradient that uh, is all, you know, from uh, from a big piece of art that. Bill did in the same way, kind of the Milky Way up in the sky.
0: Before I'd seen it, I'd read that you'd done that. So I anticipated you might do that for a sky. But what I thought was wonderful is, for example, the very tactile uh, textures that gave the properties of the stars a real um, sense that they'd, you know, well, been around uh, for a while. That There was some Hmm. real, I'm going to call them almost scratches, but there was like a sense of wear.
3: Yeah, that was something we were really after in a lot of our objects. And the stars felt right because you want to get this feeling they they've been traveling through the universe for centuries or something. So we added a ton of little scratches, that a feeling of a frosted, smoky uh, uh, layer, you know, so that they've been through atmospheres. Like I
0: expected it on the boat, but in the star, it all you know, uh, if you go down by the water, you get glass that's been in the... Yeah and it had that almost sort of frosty and i thought it yeah. was a really nice kind of connection with what was going on that's
3: right yeah we want we didn't want anything too pointy we felt like they probably you know maybe when they were young stars they would have been pointy stars so it's true it's a little bit like uh, you know pebbles on a beach that that got all rounded off we also gave them a slightly different glow you know we did again pastel little gradients that then we overlaid in different intensities so you maybe got the feeling that there were some older stars that were losing some of the energy and some that are a little brighter. So yeah, we really worked hard on making these very kind of tactile and very aged. You pitch this as part of the process, so you
0: obviously work inside Pixar. So when you're not doing directing your own films and coming to shows like this to, to share them with an audience, what's your kind of day job?
3: Um, yeah, we we pretty much uh, I, I've storyboarded on many of the features. So most of my day job um, has been storyboarding for you know uh, full uh, length uh, movies. Uh, right now I'm, I'm back um, into, into that. So I'm helping a director for a 2013 feature. I'm um, ahead of story for that. So I'm kind of leading the the storyboard team to you know visualize. Um, the script and the ideas of, of this movie. So uh, as a story artist, um, our job is really to visualize uh, concepts and ideas, very often fully scripted scenes, and then uh, choose you know, angles, choose acting. And so we're, we're kind of the guys that set uh, uh, the, the foundation to try and figure out the story, the characters.
0: You gave some good advice to a student who asked you a question after the screening about the fact that you yourself had done a, a comic book. Can you relate that to us?
3: Yeah, uh, many students kind of ask what, what to do. And, and I think what helped me in my career was, was doing something uh, personal and, and that I didn't think would end up uh, helping my career. But I just made a comic book. Um, Together with some other artists, it was a little anthology. but I kind of figured out my own character and the story I wanted to tell and the world I wanted to tell it. It was also in Italy, so I was kind of trying to again go go in some way to to things I know and that I enjoy. Um, Planes were part of it, I love Planes, so it's a little bit about finding your passion, finding a little story to tell, um, putting it out there and then it it helped me immensely in my career because people I uh, can understand a little bit what what's in you know what's your uh, take on things. Very often, um, it's very hard to tell in portfolios what's your story and what's uh, what are you. Very often, storyboarding you're storyboarding somebody else's. Uh, and scene. presumably
0: that process and, and the rest of the storyboarding goes a long way to staging, to blocking, to composition.
3: That's correct. Yeah, that's a lot of what we do. You know, and, and, and uh, all that that entails. So it's a lot about trying to set up. Uh, the emotional content right, do, wh- what do you want to stand out, what do you want in a close-up, what do you want to to have uh, a contrast or p- the, the pacing, it's, it's a lot of what we deal with. Also then the important thing that we do a lot of pictures is we put it on the screen. So we looked at look at these storyboards in real form with temp. Uh, voices. A lot of our our um, artists improvise. Our improvised actors. So we are able to see a whole movie in context in a rough form. But that way, that's what kind of enables us to to roughly judge what's wrong, what's working, what's not working, and make it better. And we do these iteration two, three, four times. So to, by the end of the process, you hope you have an excellent movie.
0: And I guess you know famously with the brains trust but just in gen- the general process of filmmaking you have to be able to take notes you have to be able to take criticism it must be kinda of leave your ego at the door in that respect
3: yeah yeah and then story that's a very easy thing to do because we we kind of second-guess almost everything we do almost to a fault um, but yeah as a director that was an interesting part of the process because the difference is uh, it, for as a first time director is that I kind of need to choose which notes to take and which one not to and I think uh, that's an important freedom and an important thing to to learn um, I think that it's a freedom you only keep if if then your movies work so it's it's an interesting process but yeah you, you need to understand you as a storyteller you're telling the story that it's awfully yours you are the one who needs to understand what note makes sense and what note might be a good note but you need to find your own way to address. The film is really charming and I would just
0: be remiss if I'm talking to you and I didn't touch on the gibberish because mm. it's a, it's something I actually also, you, you mentioned in your talk, I was the same, in, in my country we got those, uh, those cartoons that had gibberish uh, hand drawn back in the day and I find that to be both a tremendous communication tool but there must also be a great discipline about it because you must you must convey through staging through blocking and story and not through dialogue can you talk about yeah. that
3: yeah and that's something that in storytelling you know we, we kind of always say in general you got to show and not tell you know I, I think filmmaking is such a great uh, media to Um, use the visual side of of storytelling. So it's something that we always tell ourselves, if you can understand your movie without dialogue, you're doing something great. You know, even Hitchcock thought that way a lot. Um, I think he might be the first one who said that. So um, that's something that we were very aware in our day-to-day job. Um, With this specific one, it felt like, you know, a lot of our shorts actually have been wordless. Um, And in some way this, it seemed almost within the shorts, realm at Pixar, it seemed like more, more dialogue than normal actually. So it was a made up language and that was a little bit the challenge of trying to sell that we could do this and, and, um, and do, it, uh, do it in, in a, an effective way.
0: And amusingly you thought this would get you off a hook technically because you wouldn't have to lip sync because right. of the beards of the characters. But you said yeah. that didn't quite work out that way.
3: No, yeah, I'm, I, I really thought that it um, would be great. We would not have to model mouths and teeth, and like we're going to save a lot of money. Well, the, the, the lesson learned there is that we've modeled a lot of mouths and teeth, and we know how to do that. Um, but we don't know quite how, uh, necessarily, or at least we didn't know uh, accurately how to Um, have a a really um, hair that would convey the movement of of talking and then also convey expression. So it was a good challenge because usually animators uh, don't deal with a lot of hair movement. Animators are moving uh, facial uh, cues. Our hair at first was doing crazy things off of uh, the facial uh, topology. So we saw some very crazy tests where the hair was all over the place, but we were able to give those controls to the animators so that they were overall... Moving shapes um, that would uh, then be, you know, simmed as hair. Um, So we were able to really get kind of these subtle, slight feelings of uh, expression. You know.
0: So just in finishing, is there? I mean, if you could go back in time with the hindsight of what you've learned on this film, is there anything that you like wish you could tell yourself that would either make the process easier, or I guess, you know, just open things up?
3: It's a good question. Yeah, it's the first time I um, I think of that. I don't know if there is a whole lot. It's interestingly, I think that the few, it's probably given by the fact that we didn't have to rough a battle to to, to wage on, on any front. Um, we try to kind of stay the course on a couple of things um, and, and we got them through, you know, there were some some was the hair, um, there's other few things that, that were difficult, like the gibberish or, you know, at first wasn't fully, um, sellable or immediately embraced, but um, so luckily we got those through you know so it's a...
0: Cause it's hard to imagine the film now without it done that way.
3: Yeah I think so it's such a big part you know I think what people were reacting to is that the, it has a romantic and slightly poetic feel so some people felt like well you could just play it off of, you know with straight out music without any um, sound but I uh, you know I think I really knew that that, that would give this flavor um, just really because of all these these cartoons that I grew up with, that that I loved, you know, and it's still you don't have to translate anything, which is great, and they enjoy that. So,
0: you've produced now three Pixar shorts, is that correct? The last three, correct. Wow, so you're a lucky guy. I am very lucky Maybe
1: Pixar's a lucky guy to have you. Well, I volunteered for the first one, for Partly Cloudy, and then uh, the second one they didn't have anybody, so they said, well you might as well produce the second one, and the third one we were so far down the line, I produced the third one, too. so.
0: So, there are clearly Similarities. There are technical uh, things that are different, but I guess one of the things that seems to be a thread is in the case of all of those, they seem to be fairly personal stories from the director. How does that work for you?
1: Because it's presumably their personal story. Well, that's I'm a producer, not it's not my personal story. So my job is to support their personal vision and to try to get the try to get the film the vision that they have for their film uh, within the budget that we give them and the time frame and try to get them the resources that they need. So that's what we do.
0: Which is a critical part of the the producing process because, in a sense, uh, you're the responsible adult. um, But also Mm. you have to serve the the joint masters of, of course, the film first and foremost, but also the fitting in with the rest of the Pixar production uh,
1: environment. The Pixar is, what, fairly supportive of the short film project? Very supportive. We try to do the short films in the dips within production so that we're not, I'm um, partly cloudy, we were uh, right up against up and we were competing for the same resources and it was tough. Uh, Day and Night was done in the dip between, um, uh, see, with Toy Story 3 and this one was done in the dip between uh, Brave and um, uh, Cars 2. So could you give us some
0: uh, idea on the length of time that this film had inside
1: Pixar when it moved from, obviously, an idea to actually being greenlit? About nine months to a year. And and Enrico had the idea for many, for quite a long time before that, and it was also one of the only shorts that had very little notes. That you know, it was more enhancing and fine tuning rather than sort of bigger story notes that maybe other of the shorts had had. So, so, how would somebody inside Pixar get to a point that they could pitch for a story? Because I understand that's a pitching process. We have a what we call a shorts board, and people who want to come forward, and and they work with Karen Keel and Mary, who are in the development, my development group, uh, to get their pitch ready. And if we if they think it has merit, it goes to the shorts board. And then once the shorts board says yes, we like that, it goes to John and and Ed and Jim Morris, the uh, vice president of production. And
0: so, uh, is the budgeting and scheduling of these projects um, because obviously they're all animated, they're all inside Pixar. Is there a lot of similarity, or do you find you have
1: to kind of rethink each one every time? Well, each, in, the, in the case of the three that I produced, uh, partly cloudy was a technical nightmare because of trying to have clouds that talked. And clouds involve a huge amount of render power, especially when they're roiling and moving. Uh, day and night was a completely different animal because it was 2D and 3D. So we had to go out and try to find 2D animators at Pixar. We weren't even sure we were going to have enough animators to do it or cleanup artists or whatever. La Luna was a much more linear, traditional Pixar movie. It was also probably the lowest budget because it was two sets and three characters. It was relatively easy to get done.
0: What is the uh, environment right now for getting you know, audience outside festivals to actually be able to see the films? Obviously at some point they'll end up like in an iTunes
1: store but how... Well actually this, this one, because uh, Hawaiian Vacation, which was a very funny little short film, that, uh, Toy Story Tune was in front of Cars 2 We ended up holding, this was supposed to be on that, but it was done, so we said, well, why don't we just bring it out now? It's actually gonna be attached to Brave in 2012. So summer of 12, everybody will get to see this.
0: Because that is one of the great things about your short films, is that if you can attach it to a a main feature, you get, what we used to get in the old days, which is a lovely theatrical presence yeah. and a really wide audience for the director and the story.
1: And Pixar does is, does believe in the short films as, as an art form.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for sure. And thank you for the film, because it's wonderful.
1: Great, thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for that, Mike. And Mike and John will be reporting from LA next week from the red carpet, starting with the VES awards and a special interview with Joe Leteri of Weta. But that's all in episode 134 next week. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash news. So until next time, I'm Angie Dale. See ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts, and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.